0: Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor, my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ?
1: Oh, I'm good, I'm good. It's Friday, 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 Friday. Don't give up your day job. <laughs> what? It's Friday. I love Friday. Don't you love Friday?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's good, but you don't have to sing about it. a <laughs> <laughs> long weekend uh- this weekend too.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the best part. Long, long weekend. Got any plans for it?
0: Uh, probably go to an Anzac Day ceremony. Oh, yeah. They're not doing the whole um, marches, are they? Uh, the place that I'm doing it is doing a sort of toned down one from usual. And there's a bunch of rules they're following. Like, um, there's not going to be a reflaying. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Hey, at least we actually get to have a ceremony this year. Unlike last year, where we just stood in our driveways listening to the radio.
1: <laughs> it's like, it, although now I think of that, I think it's we sort of becoming like Americans. You know how the Americans will always go, go to the front porch and just do that on Independence Day?
0: <laughs> it's like, are we becoming
1: Americans already?
0: Anyway, speaking of Americans, have you heard about NASA's new helicopter project? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Such and it flies. Story. Oh, yeah. It flies on Mars. <laughs> so amazing.
1: I I cannot believe it. It, ha- it actually
0: happened. I'm not surprised that it worked. I'm surprised that it's worked so well so far. They've pulled off a couple of flights so far. I was kind of half expecting it to... Um, I mean, I'm sure they do a lot of work uh, before they actually launch, but it's all pre-programmed, and the AI... Um, I think there's a bit of AI on there. Well some algorithm for picking the uh, picking a landing site. Yeah. But and I heard, and, and, I'm and, oh, kind sorry. of surprised. I've done a few flights so far, and there doesn't seem to be any issues. I was kind of expecting it to come down on a rock sideways or get blown away.
1: Yeah, I heard there was a second flight as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was uh, and it went up to five meters. I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> hell yes.
0: Oh, it is so cool!
1: And they're doing, and they're going to be doing a third takeoff apparently as well.
0: Yeah, they have a few more flights planned. Hopefully, they're able to uh, get more out of it than they plan. Usually, with Mars missions, they tend to get more out of it than they plan to because it's easier to just, you know, overbuild it and make sure that they can get what they need to do done, and then it'll just keep running for another few years after. Like uh, Spirit and Opportunity, both. Far exceeded their expected service life.
1: Have you? Did you see the um, the ingenuity team um, at NASA's Jet Propulsion Labs' reaction to the flight?
0: Yes, that's a great video.
1: <laughs> I saw that. I was like, "Oh man, I love. I would love to be in that team and just be part of that atmosphere."
0: Yeah, they deserve it.
1: Now comes the fun question: Are we going to see uh space? Are we going to see more space helicopters
0: in the near future? Well, not space helicopters, because there's nothing in space for the helicopter to fly off. Mars helicopters? Probably. One of the things they hope to be able to do with Ingenuity is use it to map out the area around the rover. So if a future rover came with a little you know, docking bay, then it could send up the, uh, the drone, pick out an interesting location, and then drive there. So I would not be surprised at all if they bring it in uh, as a plan for the next Mars rover.
1: That's gonna be a co- that's gonna be interesting though. You saying about the rover? Do you reckon they will render
0: the uh, rover obsolete in the near future? No, if it keeps going. The helicopters can't carry enough uh, weight. Like even the ingenuity helicopter is. It has a very limited lifespan because it can't carry enough fuel for itself. It has a, a battery pack and a small solar panel, but that's not enough for it to actually do more than a handful of flights. Uh, okay. So, so you get, oh. yeah, you can't ever, uh, well, there's no point really making a helicopter that can carry all of the tools, curiosity, uh, not curiosity, <laughs> perseverance. Well, Perseverance is like upgraded Curiosity. Yeah, they're very funny. similar designs, but they, um, yeah, they're very similar. Um, but you're not going to load all of that equipment in a battery powered helicopter. You just won't charge it fast enough or reliably enough. And there's not a lot of point when you can just drive there. Um, There's a lot of things that can go wrong with flying, obviously. So I think we're more likely to see a um, teamwork between rovers and drones. Drones mapping out the area, rovers going and doing the actual science.
1: I mean, I could see the drones doing a lot more, like, more geographical saving type of role. Yeah, I I can see that happening, actually.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how good the uh, Mars uh, Reconnaissance orbiting orbiting, Orbiters are with their (laughs) photoc... Words are hard tonight. (laughs) (laughs) With their photography. I don't know if they're actually uh, getting high enough res for them to be able to do the job of the helicopter? Presumably not, or they wouldn't have sent the helicopter. But it is also just a bit of cool science. You know, they can do it, so why not? Uh, let's see if it ha- see if it works.
1: Although, with the flights of the Ingenuity, I could see a lot of other companies just going, ooh, ooh, let's yeah. make our own hel- uh, Mars helicopter. Well, like, I guess, you
0: know, I- they've done it once now, so... Any other space program that wants to build a helicopter can now figure it out, and they know that it works.
1: Yeah, can you imagine China? <laughs> we well, can make a better helicopter with our better computers.
0: <laughs> that's awful.
1: <laughs> well, can you imagine Elon Musk?
0: Yeah, I don't know that Elon would be too bothered. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's not interested in the science side of things there so much as he is. I think Elon is far more interested in the idea of getting people to live there so that people can work on Mars. True, that's true. And there's not a lot that a helicopter on Mars can do that you can't also do with a rover or a satellite. The main advantage with Ingenuity is being able to map out the area. And that might help uh, Perseverance, you know, work its way around obstacles. Maybe yeah. they could make one that's got a weather attachment. I don't know how useful that would be, though, because the main weather on Mars is dust storms, and the dust storms are visible from space.
1: Yeah. But there's also There could be other events like solar flares and whatnot.
0: Again, we have that covered with satellites.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I don't know, but, you know... NASA probably has a lot more ideas than I do, and do you, I can't wait to see them.
1: Yeah. Do you reckon this whole flight is... Cons- uh, the, what do you think about it being consequential to the space space program in general?
0: Uh, so it's a pretty significant thing. Nobody's ever done this before. It sets the groundwork. It proves that the models that they've developed for designing ingenuity work. So maybe they can build a helicopter that will fly you know, in the Venusian atmosphere, or they could send one to IO or something and be able to figure it out by using the same, uh, same models.
1: Yeah. With the, uh, Ingenuity doing this program, how, how, they said like how long the how long is it going to last this whole program in, in general?
0: Um, yeah. So Ingenuity has a fairly short lifespan. um, Just gonna see if I can pull up an article about that. Yeah, they have, they reckon they have three more flights in it. Ooh. It's also a pretty cool demonstrator for uh, automatic drones because there's a, you know, a round trip of a few hours for you to send a command to the drone and for you to get confirmation back. So while they are um, pre programming it, Ingenuity is also. Figuring out a lot of stuff on its own. What's also cool is that the um, ingenuity also carries a piece of the Wright Flyer. So there's you know some specifics about what exactly was the first human flight on Earth, but the the Wright Flyer uh, is the first powered heavier-than-air craft with controls for a pilot aboard.
1: Huh.
0: Yeah, there's a uh, different. Um, different people were working on it about the same time and some people you know had a heavier than air glider first uh some people right. had a you know one that couldn't be controlled things like that
1: yeah oh yeah i remember this one yeah that's good old kitty hawk yeah
0: yeah yeah actually sat in a replica of it nice it's Have um you- it went no not at all <laughs> i wouldn't want to be flying in it it's basically just a couple of wooden pl- planks <laughs> Some wooden planks covered in canvas and it doesn't feel robust at all. <laughs> There's a reason they only fly it like just off the ground and during perfect conditions.
1: How do you seen Na- how do you see NASA now do you reckon they've become like the top dog in space travel now because back um, then there used to be e- back then it used to be uh, SpaceX when Elon had the first human flight uh, remember dragon was it Dragon X.
0: Yeah, the Dragon Two pod, which is the crew pod. Yeah. What um, what are you calling that?
1: Uh, what I'm, you mean? Um, what I'm saying is, with like back then, e, uh, SpaceX would be like, "Yes, we are the pioneers of space travel. We can do what NASA can't even do," and
0: yada yada uh, yada. Yeah, SpaceX are doing some new things, sending people to space. Not new, sending people to space on a commercial flight. New. No. Uh, company has made a has done that before uh the they also had uh you know like the first falcon heavy flight was the first flight with multiple returns of used boosters i think it's uh, a lot of you can get into a lot of specifics about what the first people to do a certain thing is uh in this case this is the first powered flight on on a alien planet so there was uh, previously there was un- unpowered flights, hot air balloons on uh, F- Venus. the And well, there's also technically powered flight in that Curiosity and Perseverance both landed from a sky crane, a rocket powered sky crane, basically a, a pod that was rocket powered. strapped onto the top. They came into the atmosphere, cut their chutes when they were close to the ground and the uh, rockets would fire, hold them in the air and lower them down on cables. So it's not technically the first flight. It's the first flight of a helicopter on another planet, which is, you know, it's a big thing. It's put NASA uh, back up with the people who are doing new stuff. I don't know about, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone else is working on this. We'll have to see, you know, what the international response is. I just think this is, like, hugely cool technology.
1: Oh, yeah. Now I could see a lot of um, drone companies going to be, uh,
0: a lot of people going to be buying more drones now because of this. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing to uh, keep an eye on, whether drone companies see increased sales because NASA's flying one. <laughs> the... Um, the- Ingenuity wouldn't fly on Earth. They had to create a special chamber, uh, basically a vacuum chamber with counterweights so they could create the same conditions they'd have on Mars.
1: I can't wait when um, we we actually get like proper big Mars helicopters and have the first human flight in a hel- Mars helicopter. That'll be cool. That'll be
0: cool, yeah. Yeah. First, we need to get... You know humans on Mars, yeah, <laughs> which is a trickier problem than it sounds. It's probably pretty easy to get them there. The question is, can we keep them alive, and can we get them back? And you know, is there any point to coming back? Because uh, during such a long flight, and you know, that's several years between flying to Mars, doing a mission, and then flying home. That's several years of being in a reduced gravity state and that's not good for your bones so if they come back do they you know can they ever recover or do they lose the ability to ever live on earth again yeah i think that's actually mentioned in rendezvous with rama that they have like the interplanetary council and the people on the uh who grew up on the moon can't ever go to earth because their bones just won't handle it i mean
1: trying to adapt it would With multiple gravities would be pretty. It would be pretty intense. Like the gravity on the moon would be uh, would be much more different to the gravity of Mars, for example, or the gravity of um, Saturn or
0: whatever. Yeah. So we should be trying to keep people in close to uh, as close to one G as possible.
1: Yeah. You know what's going to be even more interesting? I wonder how many sci-fi movies are, we, are going to adapt this type of tech.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now that it's been proven possible, I'm sure it would turn up. It's maybe not as cool aesthetically as rockets and stuff, but it wouldn't surprise me to see it turn up in sci-fi now. So moving along, DJ, have you managed to get your hands on a PS5 yet?
1: No, although I, 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 I am still happy that I have my PS4. And my PS3 after what happened this week with PS3.
0: <laughs> yes, luckily they decided to extend the time before the PS3 store shuts down. Have they told us how long though?
1: Uh okay, from what I've seen, I think it looks indef it sounds indefinite, but PS Vita, I think they did some news about it, um, saying that there won't be much patch there won't be much patchwork or something like that.
0: Okay. So not a complete win, but better than nothing gives us a bit more time to you know get this figured out reservation
1: yeah have you got
0: all your games downloaded to your ps3 though for when they do finally shut down
1: (laughs) i don't think i have
0: no okay uh and have you bothered to uh modify your firmware
1: nope it's still it's still the original it's still the uh, console i haven't modded anything i haven't done any like changes to it no i've just serviced
0: it and that's it what have you done to service it just clean out the dust
1: i just uh i just sent it to eb and just uh yeah all they did was just um yeah clean out the dust or change some bits and bobs, and that's it
0: okay i wonder what else they did then so the issue here they are not uh going to keep this going forever and the playstation consoles finding out now from the group um did they sign that document no they don't seem to um i try to work out who that is but uh, here it is does it play they're on twitter as at does it play one the number one not the word and they have been doing research on the c-bomb issue So CBOM is the name for, it's basically a time bomb in your PlayStation. There's a battery that keeps the CMOS data saved when you turn the power off or unplug it, much like in your PC. And if that battery goes flat, you need to resynchronize with the uh, PlayStation servers. Now, when the PlayStation servers aren't available, what happens? your PlayStation dies
1: and gets bricked, yeah,
0: yeah. So, they've been doing research and found out that the PS5 does have uh, th- does have C bomb. So, by taking out the battery and uh, disconnecting all network connections, they then tested some digital games they had downloaded and some games they had on CDs.
1: There are not many games on, on CDs, aren't there? I mean, like, do you know what, Godfall, Cyberpunk. Uh- To name a few. Yeah,
0: bigger issue. The PlayStation 5 comes in a model that has no disk drive at all. So PlayStation 5 Digital Edition, completely dead when this goes... No. Then you've got a piece of dead hardware that's going to go straight in the e-waste. No. Yeah. Um, To an extent, that's happening with the older consoles too. But with the older consoles, they tend to have better... um, they get along better when you run out of, uh, when you don't have access to the servers. So, what they found out is that when they uh, cut the network and removed the battery, all digital games on the PS5 stopped working completely.
1: No, no. <laughs> so, it's basically you, you, you're damned if you do it and you're damned if you don't.
0: Yeah, there's no way out of this without hacking your PlayStation and that's or imp- hardware modding it
1: yeah and, that, and, and even and-
0: then i a hardware mod is going to be a short-term thing yeah because and eventually will the- something will fail and you'll lose the ability to use it
1: oh yeah and it will also void the warranty as well
0: well by this point uh so yes this sucks for people who don't have you know a consistent internet connection which is fewer people than uh you know a decade ago when they started locking down consoles but still far too many that's not good yeah so in that case your console is basically useless. Uh, Microsoft at e3 back in 2013 maybe 2012 I don't recall exactly when made the point that if you don't have an internet connection we have a console for you it's the old one <laughs> yeah before they rolled back all of the uh, so Sony had a go at them in their next uh, the next day at e3. And Microsoft rolled back most of the uh, restrictions they were bringing in. Now, Sony seems to be going the same way as Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of when Samsung said, uh, we're not getting rid of the headphone jack. And then the next year, you know what wasn't in the phone? <laughs> headphone jack.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, that was the Apple. I remember that. It was the Apple that yeah. said no head, yeah, yeah. Apple Apple's- did it
0: first, and Sony said, we're not... Sorry, Samsung said, we're not doing that. And then <laughs> the next year they did that.
1: <laughs> oh, that totally sucks. Yeah. So in terms of game development with, uh, so the game developers are creating the PS5 games. They're at a loss at this point.
0: Uh, PS4. Oh
1: yeah, okay. Yeah. PS. Wait, is it PS4 or PS5 that I've got the situation? I thought it was well, the
0: PS5. Well, PS5 Seabomb isn't going to be an issue for a few years. Okay, yeah. You'll be able to, you know, work around it up until the PlayStation servers for it go offline. Like with the, uh, like with the PlayStation Four, which uh, three, which we were just talking about last week. But it turns out, so all consoles are affected. Basically, uh, Does It Plays article was referencing just PlayStation, but um, so. Older consoles still had the CDs and had less online features, so the CDs would work. But now, even games that have single player modes on the PlayStation 5 might not work when the servers go down. So you completely lose any digital games. So, Digital Edition PS5 is a paperweight. Disc Edition PS5, uh, some of the ones they tested were Mortal Kombat 11, Spider Man, Miles Morales, and Black Ops Cold War. So, Black Ops Cold War. Launched, but was unplayable because it requires online functionality kind of makes sense. It's a primarily multiplayer game. I don't know if that one has single player. I know some of the COD games do, but I don't follow COD. So yeah. Uh, if, it, if you can't play the single player because you don't have an internet connection, that is horrible. And that is bullshit. Oh. and it shouldn't be done. Fix it. <laughs> uh, Miles Morales actually worked fine. Okay. Mortal Kombat 11, which does have single player and, you know, local play. You could play a Mortal Kombat game just with your friends. Cannot install uh, with the disc. It crashes at 97% installation. Oh, boy. Yeah. So what they are asking is for people to petition Sony to patch C-Bomb and prevent this from being an issue in the end. I would love to see that happening. <laughs> uh, because, you know, as it is currently, it's only massive fans and hobbyists who are doing this, breaking it down and reverse engineering it. But Sony could keep those people happy. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, people reverse engineering software is the basis for hacks. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Sony's basically encouraging people to hack their older consoles now to. Uh, to be able to keep using them. If Sony would release a patch that deactivated the C-Bomb issue, then, especially for these older consoles, it would keep them in circulation. They wouldn't go to uh, e e-waste. So, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. First up, reduce. Don't break hardware if it doesn't need to be broken. Hardware that is single use really bugs me because when it stops, uh, when the server goes offline, it's dead. You might remember the Juicero. It's a uh, juicing machine, super hardcore. They sell you a subscription package and it's got to check the use by date with its server to make sure it works. What do you think happened when that company went bankrupt? (laughs) Nobody made the little juice packets that it would squeeze. No. And there was no way to use it anyway because it couldn't talk to the server and would just reject it. (laughs) No. My neighbors do seem to be having a bit of a party, so I apologize if that means coming in the background there. Yeah, I see them on the balcony over there. They are... <laughs> oh, I see someone dancing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, anyway. It, um. So, it, sorry?
1: It, it's so weird. Like, how the heck did... Oh, that sucks.
0: Oh, Jusero is a crazy story. <laughs> so, products like that become very expensive paperweights once the server goes offline. Uh, ideally, the server never goes offline, but... Eventually, it will, one way or another. And when it does, the device becomes useless unless somebody hacks it. So, but most people don't have the guts to go in and flash firmware or, uh, you know, reprogram their stuff. You know where I'm getting into, actually? There's a really good short story, uh, unauthorized, unauthorized Bread. I think it's available for free on uh, Corey Doctorow's web- website. It's a yeah short story about people hacking devices that are locked down. Uh. <laughs> uh, yes, here it is. Um, Ars Technica has a uh, reprint of it.
1: So, with all the with all that with all that information out there,
0: how consequential is this to game development in general? Uh, it's bad for developers. So, right now, I could pull out a play an original Game Boy and. I believe you can run unofficial cartridges on Game Boy without hacking it, but that gets harder the more modern your console is because it's got more web store stuff, better security features. So you try to, you know, it's called homebrew when you make your own software. So that's the reuse side of it. So reduce, don't make your hardware break when you go out of business or decide to stop supporting it in this case. Uh, So yeah, don't make yourself break, reuse. Let people write their own software for it. So with older uh, consoles, that's easier. The architecture might be wonky and complicated to work with, but you don't have to do any hacking uh, to create homebrew. More modern stuff you do, that's just the way things have gone. People have added uh, security for that.
1: Are we seeing the death of game modding
0: in general, or is this another barrier? Uh, it's another barrier. I don't think anything will ever stop game modding completely, except for entirely online games like... Uh Well, you know, there's no point modding Destiny because it's entirely online. There's no content to enjoy on your own. Whereas like the original Halo, the online servers are dead, but people, it still has a fairly active modding community. You can still play online multiplayer, but uh, using artificial servers and stuff. But, you know, people are making new content for it. Uh, So that's the reuse part of things. People can reuse the console they can write their own code for it. They can, you know, make homebrew games, and then the last step, recycle, which you try to avoid by allowing the first two steps to happen. <laughs> Otherwise, people are just going to throw out their PlayStation in five years, ten years, whenever it stops being supported, and it's just more e-waste, and we really need to be reducing that. Yeah,
1: that's gonna suck. Like the amount, ima- like we were talking about agro min- agro mining the other week and how plants will how metals can feed into the earth and plants can help out the process, this would this would be detrimental.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that kind of brings up a thought that maybe agro-mining could be used as landfill remediation. We did speak about nuclear accident remediation mm-hmm. uh, using sunflowers, but maybe you could use that agro-mining uh, to help you extract important metals from landfill. But, you know, that's um, a response to the problem. We can help reduce and prevent the problem by allowing people to write their own software for their hardware without uh, without adding stuff like this, which I know they, they do it to prevent piracy, but it really does feel like a kick in the teeth as someone who loves classic games. I don't want to play the hottest thing every year. I'm happy to play older stuff, and I know you're not making as much money out of me because of that, but... It's also a cultural thing. When the when the uh, Sony stops supporting the PlayStation, the community loses all of that. Right now, you can still play the original PlayStation. You can't necessarily play uh, your PS5 if Sony ever goes under or stops supporting it. And that's a huge cultural loss. Yeah, nostalgia's gone after that. Yeah. Can you imagine if like the movies and TV shows from your childhood but just missing because nobody allowed them to be preserved. It would be sad. We've kind of seen that, Like The most famous example is Doctor Who. The classic Doctor Who episodes that are lost forever because nobody thought they were important enough to keep the tapes. Imagine if that happens to Camus. We have a chance here to stop this happening for the current generations. Right now, we can, you know, it's a grassroots thing. People are preserving things. Do you remember uh flashpoint when flash was shutting down people got together to preserve flash things because people care about this culture and this nostalgia and heritage and want to be able to go back and experience it again but can you imagine if all of that gets lost and what will the future historians do right now i can go back and watch most of the charlie chaplin movies because most of them were preserved there are other lost movies uh, even Metropolis, one of the most famous silent movies of all time, um, was partially lost. And that's a huge, you know, a huge thing for historians and archaeologists. What are they going to find from our society in the future? And it's not just games. It's, you know, all sorts of technology. Apple fighting right to repair. Um, you know, the the first Macs and the first iPods Uh, easy to repair they you, you know a skilled user can repair them quite easily the new stuff is damn near impossible to repair because apple wants to get it slightly thinner wants to lock it down slightly more and wants to stop people from going anywhere but them to get it repaired it's less of a cultural loss because um you i suppose you wouldn't be able to use the software anymore but uh in that case, it's more of an environmental loss because it takes a lot of energy and expensive rare earth materials to create a, a phone or a, a tablet. And then in a handful of years, when it starts acting up, when it's not powerful enough, when the battery is worn out, instead of being able to install a new branch of software on it, it's dead. You can't, Apple are trying to make it so that you can't replace the screen in your phone if it cracks so you have to go and buy a new one mm. the um it's been an issue for farmers for years john deere makes it as hard as possible to get your tractor repaired without going through a specialist because it makes them more money but it stifles people repairing and recycling and reusing old technology it stifles innovation it stifles people learning from from things and it's just really bad for the environment and for us.
1: I feel like you're gonna start a, like a, a movement or something. Like have this have this long speech prepared. Like, yes,
0: who will join me, brothers? We few, we happy few, we <laughs> band of repairmen. <laughs> actually, yes, uh, I follow Lewis Rossman on YouTube. He's a <laughs> Mac repairer, and he actually recently announced that he's stepping away from uh, from repair work. To work on a lobbying organisation to push for right for right to repair. Okay. And you know he's a, a big inspiration for me when it comes to this. I've always been aware of right to repair, but he has really you know contextualised it in a way that helps me explain it to people who don't know what it is. And yeah, people like Lewis Straussman and Richard Stallman. Who want you to be able to use your stuff? You own it, so why can't you use it the way you want? Because the big companies don't want you to. <laughs> and I'm not like some crazy, uh, some crazy libertarian or anything. <laughs> like
1: the next thing you know, you'll have an Alex
0: Jones voice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like Alex Jones. I just want to be able to fix the things I own and keep using them past you know when they start to break down. I want to be able to fix them. I enjoy fixing things. It's, you know, these people like Lewis Rossman and Richard Stallman, I've always seen them as a little bit nuts. But the older I get, the more I agree, because the more I'm affected by this bullshit and the more I see different companies trying to push it. Like back when I could do whatever I wanted with a computer, Richard Stallman, you know, felt a bit nuts. But now I've realized how important he is to, you know, um, how important free software is. I have old laptops, would have gone to e-waste if I hadn't been able to install custom software on them. And, you know, it's not just that. We can send old computers to other countries at the moment or to rebuild them and let disadvantaged people have them. We don't have to consider them completely destroyed after a few years.
1: By the way, with Richard Stormer, have you seen his uh, free software song?
0: I haven't, you're going to have to link that to me and I'll look at it later. (laughs) So, yeah, these activists uh, have been around for years and no one's listened to them. And now we're listening to them and it could be too late. So, you know, please go and write to Sony. Follow the the link in our show notes to the uh, Does It Play report and write to Sony and tell them you care about Able to use their consoles in the future, and if this comes up, if a politician you know asks you what you think about ride to repair, tell them that you like it. Do some look into it and find out about it and how it affects you, uh, because you know this affects all of us. And one day we might lose the ability to own and repair our own things. As much as I love Teslas, they are also very anti-repair. So you know. It's hard to hard to make a stand against it, but I think everyone should be. And you know that's my political rant for the night. <laughs> I'm I'm feeling uh, worn out now. I think I need to go and get a cup of tea and go to bed.
1: <laughs> next day, I bet you next day, Professor, you'll start saying like, "Join us on the Nerd's Amalgamated Political Party."
0: <laughs> well, I did joke with my friends that we should start a uh, back when the government was messing around with MBN. I did joke with my friends that we should start a political party and <laughs> call it the land party.
1: Oh. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's so funny yep. yet so wrong at the same time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I bet you like we your goals in that land party must have been like, well, domination.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, no, mostly just um Pushing for better internet and uh, more and more technologically savvy p- politicians.
1: <laughs> Do me a favour, as if they're going to get either of us.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Australian politicians are uniquely bad when it comes.
1: Uh, we well, did I,
0: have I, a prime minister say that uh, the laws of mathematics are admirable, but only the laws of Australia apply. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My my favorite one is when um, one of our politicians uh, just used two words to uh to say a, a person's death. Shit happens.
0: Oh, which one was that? I think it was Abbott. Okay, well, yeah. So you know, I'm I've been ranting for a long time. We're probably going to run a little bit overtime tonight, <laughs> but. <laughs> you know, this is a an issue that affects all of us. It, I'm particularly with the PlayStation. I'm calling it. Someone else probably has a better name, but I'm calling it single use gaming because once the once Sony decides to stop supporting the PlayStation Digital Edition, it's dead. And it's you know not just dead for you; it's dead for anyone who might ever want or need access to that software in the future. So I hope you know I've rambled a bit, but I hope I've made it clear why I'm passionate about this. But uh, we should be moving on to other ways to make ridiculous amounts of money. (laughs) (laughs) NFTs. (laughs) More drama. Uh,
1: You really uh, really hate those, don't you, (laughs) Harvey?
0: I do. I think they're crazy and stupid and (laughs) yeah, like, I don't understand what you are selling.
1: Okay, yeah, okay, okay. yeah. So l- l- let me, uh, let me see. It. Let me start with the backdrop. Okay, so Jose Galbo has been drawing superheroes for Marvel and DC for years and years and years. Until COVID nineteen hits, uh, hit conventions last year, he got cut off from his fans who bought his artwork. So, his so I
0: see, though he stopped officially working for Marvel and DC decades ago. Yeah. So when he sells his artwork. Sounds like he's in trouble for selling Wonder Woman art. Yeah. So, why uh, does he have the right to draw Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman belongs to DC.
1: True, but uh, certain art styles are are the are the um while the character themselves is the is property of DC and stuff. The art style isn't okay. So okay, I do see
0: though. Um, yeah, DC. And Marvel have apparently allowed artists to sell the original drawings used in comic books, yeah. But are now against NFTs, so you know that does actually answer my question. They used <laughs> to be able to do this, so why can't they NFT it?
1: Yeah. So let, let me. Uh, so let me finish what, uh, about this though. So his grandson actually introduced him to the new tech NFTs, and so for those curious, what NFTs are? So they're known as non-fungible non-fun- tokens. And they unique pieces of code that works like electronic certificates of authenticity. NFT makes it possible to buy and sell things like JPEGs of Major League Baseball cards, video clips of NBA highlights, virtual sneakers, or even an NFT flavor of Pringles using cryptocurrency.
0: Yeah. So here's what I don't understand, though. You sell someone an NFT of a picture. And like, if you sell someone the original artwork, there's provenance in that being the original artwork. but if you sell them the NFT of the picture, of the JPEG picture, or hopefully they wouldn't be using JPEG. Hopefully they'd be sensible, lossless compression formats, but that's <laughs> an entirely different argument. Yep. So you sell this NFT. What do they get? Like, they don't get a painting to hang on their wall that's, you know, painted by a master artist. They get a picture that could be posted on the internet and anyone could have it. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I kind of understand the idea of using blockchain to track uh, transactions of artwork and ownership of like the original artwork. Like if we use the blockchain to keep track of the owners of the original Van Goghs or whatever. But I don't understand why a JPEG has that provenance. <laughs> because, you know, if somebody gives me a JPEG, I'm not taking the JPEG away from them. They've just sent me a copy, unless they delete the JPEG. But you know, there's nothing enforcing that. It's not like selling a painting, and you can make copies of a painting, but then they don't have the provenance of being the original. Sounds like it's worked for him though. Uh, it's it's worked for him. So
1: fans <coughs> have paid the equivalent of two million dollars for a set of NFTs by Delbo and the two person artist team Hacketal. Featuring DC Comics characters, um, Wonder Woman. So he goes on to say uh, on Twitter, "I haven't, I've, I've been able to take my art to a whole, whole new place." So uh, interestingly, though, other, other other people have also joined the NFT um, bandwagon, like Boy George, for example.
0: Yeah, and- kind of reminds me of uh, Bowie Bonds, but in that case, but Bowie Bonds actually had a return associated with them. Like, does the owner of a Boy George NFT make any money off it, or is it just when they sell the NFT they can make money?
1: I'm sure about the whole NFT thing stuff to be begin to begin with, but in terms of editions and stuff. But I think it is depends on the edition though. So if it's like the first NFT like version of the Boy George song, it would might might sell more than like what the fifth edition or the sixth edition NFT of the same Boy George song.
0: Well, that's silly. Uh, why would you pay for a copy? Like, why would you pay insane amounts of money for a copy of an artwork that doesn't take any extra effort to create? It,
1: yeah, that's, that is yeah, that. that is a good question.
0: Yeah. yeah and but- my other big issue with this is that because it's blockchain, uh, unless it's sensibly designed, which it's not at the moment, they mostly use Ethereum, which is currently proof of work, which means that it dumps a whole bunch of carbon. Uh, it's... Again, another thing that's really bad for the environment. <laughs> You're um, on
1: a real crusade, aren't you, tonight? I am. <laughs> so, okay, oh, maybe so-
0: I'll get invited to go play video games with Greta Thunberg. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I can imagine you in a Twitch stream with Greta Thunberg, and every time you lose a game of Among Us, you start saying, how dare you?
0: <laughs> Is that seriously the only thing people remember about her?
1: That, that'll be the meme. That's the meme. <laughs>
0: I know, but, like, she said so many other things, but the only thing people remember about her is, how dare you?
1: Well, that and her facial expressions for saying it.
0: <laughs> yeah, she looked angry. Yeah, Understandably.
1: Constipated, some would say. <sighs> but, uh, okay, so um, shortly after that sale, come book companies have decided to send a notice to artists saying, Okay, you are not allowed to mint NFTs with DC characters. So one of, so one person, um, Jay Kogan, DC Senior Vice President of Legal Affairs, he writes by saying, As DC examines the complexities of the NFT marketplace, and we work on a reasonable and fair solution for all parties involved, including fans and collectors, Please note that the offering for sale of any digital image featuring DC's intellectual property, with or without NFTs, whether rendered for DC's publication or rendered outside the scope of one's contractual engagement with DC, is not permitted. Okay. Yeah, Marvel. So also-
0: yeah, that seems like a temporary ban.
1: Yeah, but comic book dealers are are really um are really feeling it as well. So Jay Shach Jay Shachter, A comic book dealer whose NFT sales um, of current current Marvel artists uh, NFT art is thought to have prompted the company's crackdown, said both Marvel and DC have handwritten letters asking us to put a pause on selling any NFTs with these licensed properties. Uh, He goes on to say, it is not in our best interest to bite the hand that feed us.
0: Yes, especially now Marvel is backed by Disney. Oh, yeah. Like these big mega companies if you cross them good luck getting a job in the industry ever again
1: although mind you though it is it has opened up a very new avenue for people to survive during this COVID era i mean look at the comic book industry right now because of COVID. it has basically nearly annihilated everything uh, the big comic book sales
0: yeah it's not just that can i buy an nft of the uh, of the meal I would have had in a restaurant if we weren't in lockdown,
1: <laughs> nah. you know, it's not
0: just comics that are being affected. The whole economy is really
1: yeah. The whole except I get for the whole, um
0: people selling I, work from home equipment.
1: I, I get the whole. Like, I I get the whole like the eco- whole economy got f- flipped over, but comic book artists got the brunt of it. I reckon. Like the, you know, like
0: the, the, I'd say <laughs> people working in restaurants and stuff got the brunt of it. Yeah. Because, you know, you see here they've found a way to sell NFTs. You can't buy an NFT of a burger.
1: <laughs> Unless you want to do like, hey, who wants an NFT of the recipe of this restaurant's burger? I suppose they could. But, okay, what do you think in general, like, with the whole NFT? I know you, ha- you don't really have a-, a good impression of NFTs, but you reckon this is a good way of set- making money in the, ge- in the big picture sort of sense with the current situation?
0: I don't know how it works for people who aren't already famous, though. I'm only hearing about famous people selling NFTs. I'm not hearing about, you know, your average artist who does commissions on the side or something. Or, like, yeah, you don't hear about the little people. So I don't know if this is a, a good thing overall or not. Could just be rich people getting richer and... You know, the average person gets stuck in the dust again. But, yeah, I don't know how it really interacts.
1: (laughs) Um, Boy George said it really nicely about uh, the whole digital art thing. So he goes by saying, Art is like a partner. Can you live with it? Digital art is a new emotion and it can be very musical. I'm mixing all of the things I can do together. Music, art, fashion, poetry, and anything else it leads to. I have stopped refusing to be influenced.
0: To me, that's code for, I'm throwing mud at the wall until it sticks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and interesting, interesting enough, NFT is not only um, appearing in the comic book industry, it's also appeared in the music industry and beyond in recent weeks. When earlier this month the Kings of Leon released their new album When You See Yourself as NFTs. <laughs> yeah, I see
0: um a couple of other musicians have gotten in as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, if they're making money, good for them. I just don't see how this is sustainable or how it's going to shake out after this. I don't like I kind of think that it's being incredibly hyped up and it's not going to hold hold up once people you know really get to know it and really start seriously trading and buying nfts I think people are gonna either it's gonna turn out to be everything people are saying it is or people are gonna realize it's all a bit of a, a bit of snake oil and it's uh yeah going to collapse we'll see I suppose cryptocurrency hasn't really collapsed so you knows not, not unless if you bought
1: dogecoin and you're going to the moon
0: yeah crypto has mostly trended upwards for most of the uh popular cryptos so yeah we'd have to uh i think we just have to wait and see how this shakes out oh yeah i'm happy that the these artists are finding ways to make money when they. i'm just concerned with all of the effects to, that could go on with that
1: yeah i i i just hope we uh see more of these nfts come out and somehow maybe elon musk can popularize
0: it with a tweet or two we shall see we shall see i think they're already pretty popular the difference is that in this case instead of buying a currency you are buying the thing so it's not like elon can just tweet buy nfts people have to be interested in the thing that the nft represents are you
1: kidding? When Elon Musk like tweeted uh buy Dogecoin, people went nuts.
0: Yes, but if he says buy NFT, what NFT are people gonna buy?
1: Anything. They'll they'll do anything to get NFT, you know? It's like influencers on Instagram would be like, try out the, t- try this product and they'll go, oh let me buy it, let me buy it, let me buy
0: it. <laughs> Yeah, this is the whole reason Elon was uh, investigated for market manipulation.
1: (laughs) It's the same case with, like, um, GameStop and the the whole GameStonks
0: saga. Yeah, that seems silly to me, too. Like, I understand more about how that one's working, though. You know, I get the idea behind that, that the people were trying to short sell it, and people then worked out how to play the system. But, uh, yeah.
1: So we'll be back with our lovely... uh with our lovely sponsors and talk about our wonderful things, remembrances, shout outs, and famous birthdays and events of interest. Well, I thought you
0: were about to say something else, but okay then. I'll <laughs> we'll have a word from our sponsor. Ask your doctor if poop pill is right for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a fun time. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, Oh, that sounds more accusatory than I thought.
1: <laughs> for okay, for my nerdful thing, I have been uh, reading a very, very interesting comic book crossover. So, we all know the Justice League, um, and with Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and all the, uh, and all the other ha- happy little characters in it, including Aquaman, even though I still wonder why he's still part of the team. Even when he talks, when he just talks to the fishes. But yeah, so they have released... So DC Comics have have t- um, teamed up with Rucity to create a crossover series called Ruby Justice League. And mind you, this one is very, very interesting, to put it mildly. How so? Well, for one, they have... Changed a lot. Of, they've changed a lot of uh, the DC characters to fit the Ruby atmos- uh, the Ruby um world, basically. Um, they've so, um they change a they change a lot of the uh a lot of their powers as well. So Batman, for example, uh, he has bat ears and wields cata- and is an actual ninja.
0: Okay, that's weird. I don't know. Like, what's the point in doing a crossover if you're going to change everything?
1: Um, for, uh, for me personally, I think it's just a it, it's just a, um cash grab. <laughs> but uh, the story goes like this: So Ruby Justice League introduces fans of manga and superheroes to the Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, and Diana Prince of Remnant, uh, fighting with Team Ruby. A new Grimm is running rampant across the island of Patch, and Ruby and Yang must team up with the young red and blue-clad farm boy to pr- to stop it. Meanwhile, Blake meets a mysterious woman who suddenly appeared on a menagerie, but the purpose for being there remains a secret. And why does she act? And why does she act like she hasn't been around modern society? So as I, so, the mysterious woman, by the way, is Wonder Woman, and the interesting story. Wow,
0: with, I never could have guessed that. <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah, uh, the interesting part with this version of Wonder Woman, she is an automaton.
0: Okay. I'm like, no kidding. <laughs> Robot Wonder Woman, literal bat Batman.
1: <laughs> uh, Superman is. S- Superman still has. Uh, Superman is there as well. And uh, his version what is. What
0: powers does he have?
1: <laughs> I knew you were going to ask. I'm his
0: scared. Pa-
1: his powers is. Okay, so his semblance is known as Yellow Sun Empowerment. So it gives him super strength, super super speed, heat vision, and flight. According to him, his semblance can only work from the light of the yellow sun, meaning that during the nighttime, he cannot use his semblance. And according to his knowledge, he cannot store the sunlight up to use his semblance during the nighttime.
0: Okay, that actually sounds like, you know, actual Superman. Yeah. I wonder though, um, like, is that a, does Superman in the official things lose any of his powers at night?
1: Nah, I don't think he loses any powers at
0: night. No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, but oh, that would be w- a really interesting weakness. Like instead of it just being rocks again, <laughs> have him have to like work out exactly what frequency of light triggers his powers.
1: Oh, by the way, with the bat with Batman, uh, even though he looks like a man in the photos, he's actually sixteen, like a grown-up man, <laughs> and his semblance. Okay, get this is called detective mode. That's like something out of Arkham. that's like Arkham games.
0: That literally is something out of the Arkham games.
1: Yeah, it's a this uh, this semblance gives him the ability to detect patterns and unlock puzzles. He's also shown to uh, to be able Wait, to move-
0: when he goes in detective mode, he's interested in patterns and puzzles. Are yeah. oh, you sure he's not just autistic? <laughs>
1: <laughs> nope. So, uh, he he's also shown to be able to mirror supersonics through whistling. Being able to shake uh, or bring down a mirror chandelier. What, sorry? Mi- mirror supersonics. What does that mean? So basically he whistled at a high pitch frequency to bring down a chandelier. But in To bring down a chandelier.
0: Okay. So he's also Captain Crunch. <laughs> the, uh, the hack and not the uh, cereal mascot. The reason for his name, though, was because uh, the Captain Crunch cereal came with a whistle in it. And that whistle happened to be very useful for hacking payphones because it <laughs> w- could be used to play the correct tones to hack the phone. And uh, this Captain Crunch guy just happened to be able to whistle the correct tone.
1: For a second, I thought you were talking—you you were talking about um, like Captain B- Captain Birdseye and like, oh, he's got a whistle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, this is an American brand of cereal.
1: <laughs> but yeah, this. Uh, so I'm currently reading. Um, the third one now, but I think it's the third volume, but uh, yeah, it is very, it's interesting but yeah, weird at the same time. Okay, so what
0: would you rate it?
1: I would rate it uh, 2.5 out of 5. The, the, the story is uh, interesting, but the dro- the drawing of the characters is just, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, who drew, who drew this?
0: Okay, well, I've been playing Infra Infra is a sort of urban exploration puzzle game where you play as a a civil engineer exploring abandoned facilities and making some fairly questionable decisions.
1: Okay, how questionable are we saying here? Like, uh,
0: well, you come to a hydroelectric dam, and by solving a puzzle, you can turn it back on and plug it back into the power grid, which is like that's something people uh, have to really like connecting to the power grid takes Fort. yeah i'm about halfway through act one at the moment and i'm liking it it's a source game uh from 2016 so the graphics aren't the most amazing but they hold up pretty well i think um there's a the story's shaping up to be pretty interesting and i'm not sure if it's supposed to be as eerie as it is like going through some of the uh old going through some of the old buildings just feels like something's about to jump out at me.
1: So it's, so from what I'm seeing here, it just looks like it looks like Death Stranding, but without the walking.
0: No, there's walking, but there's no packages. You're walking around like taking photos of crumbling, uh, you know, crumbling infrastructure. Sometimes you repair broken things, um, solve puzzles to get to the next area.
1: What's the biggest
0: uh, flaw you've encountered in the game so far? Um... Well, the voice acting isn't great. It's a Finnish game and I'm playing it in English. So it might just be that their English voice actors weren't, you know, the best. Yeah, I think it's uh, particularly interesting, although it does seem like a pretty long game considering uh, I'm getting a fair way through Act 1 and put quite a few hours into it so far. i put in uh, only three hours, so not as much as I was thinking. (laughs) So three hours is not that long. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's three acts to the game, so it'll probably come out to like, okay, yeah, three hours to get through half of the first act. Judging by the uh, list of achievements, just having a look and seeing the number of levels, it looks like there's five levels in act one. I'm partway through level three, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's a three-act game. So, oh, man, I'm never getting that achievement. There's an achievement for photographing 90% of the photographable spots in one playthrough
1: oh yeah so like you'll
0: be going through and you'll find like a crack in the wall and take a photo of that or a broken pipe things like that i bet you someone must have done this
1: on and posted on youtube probably
0: yeah so there's some like serious uh achievements but i don't know um i don't think it's the sort of game that i'd go back for because it once i finish because it does feel like you know once i've been through i'm not going to uh the story the story is interesting but once I know the the plot and the puzzles, it doesn't seem like one of those things that I'll come back to. So I don't think there's a lot of replayability unless you're really into it. Uh, especially since it is you know firmly in the walking simulator category. There's puzzles and exploration, and I uh, get really drawn in by the exploration and end up spending a lot of time going around places and then going back and checking the other path. And there's some puzzles that aren't the most intuitive. I looked up a guide for one puzzle. Um, and like it turns out the part i was i needed a part to fix something and it was hidden behind in a box on top of a shelf but there's no way to like pick up the box you have to just sort of grab the thing through the box and pull it out so yeah um gameplay wise it's a little bit janky the voice actings are not the best but the story is interesting it's about so far, it's about like corruption and uh, basically how the government left the the structures to fall into disrepair for various reasons. <laughs> but it's really cool, and it's uh, kind of like nothing I've ever played before. Nothing's really done urban exploration as gameplay before. Because
1: from the uh, fr- from the uh, screenshots I'm looking at, it just reminds me of all the other rush like games, nuclear fallout style horror games, you know.
0: Yeah, it does feel like it could be a horror game. But then you find weird stuff like uh, there's a giant mural painted on a wall and of Heisenberg from Breaking Bad. You know, I think probably three out of five. And you know, I recommend giving it a go. See if it's your sort of thing. Uh, but unless the story goes somewhere really groundbreaking, I, I'll see when I get further into it. Maybe I'll up the score. I am a bit worried it could drag on a bit too long. It's a cool concept, but, you know, there's only so much looking through an old abandoned building that you can do. We'll see. So on to our shout outs. On the 16th of April, 2021, Chuck Geske, the co-founder of Adobe, passed away. So Chuck Geske and John Warnock founded Adobe in a garage in 1982, naming it after the creek that ran behind the home. And they developed... uh, Some interesting things, Postscript, which is actually pretty cool. It's a Turing complete scripting language for basically laying out your document to send it to the printer. And when you print using a Postscript driver, your computer translates your document into that format and then sends it to the printer. Now, more famously, they're known for Photoshop and uh, the Creative Cloud Suite. (laughs) Everybody hates that. (laughs) I think people just hate the ridiculous pricing. Oh, yeah. Now, did you see the um, Linus Tech Tips video on Adobe One? Linus Tech Tips and Corridor Digital did a collab. Uh, LTT set up the computer, which is a an old Mac, which they modified and added uh, video capture to so that they could film with it. And Corridor Digital got their artists to try to actually work on it. Vaguely, vaguely. And possibly even more controversially... Adobe is known for PDF. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm gonna go to hell for this, but I bet you when they announced his death, it was a it was a PDF file.
0: Possibly, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, PDF it does what it does well. It's also problematic. Uh, has a bunch of issues with security, but, you know, what can you do?
1: Although, you gotta admit, though, the guy had a really really decorated life.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, he had some, you know, he worked on some great tech.
1: Not to mention the fact that uh, he survived a kidnapping, too.
0: Yes, he was kidnapped for ransom. <laughs> do you know more about that, DJ?
1: So... What I've gathered is he was kidnapped at gunpoint from the Adobe parking lot by two men, and a spokesman from the FBI reported that the agency has monitored phone calls that the kidnappers had made to the owner's wife demanding a ransom. And so one of the kidnappers had been arrested and he, after he picked up the $650,000 ransom that Geshik's uh, daughter had uh, left at a drop point. The FBI agent explained that after a gentlemanly discussion, <laughs> gentlemanly discussion. <laughs> How many broken thumbs you reckon that happened? Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, after gentlemanly discussion, uh, Abdul Hakari, the kidnapper, had brought them to a bungalow in Hollister West. His partner had been holding Gesick hosti- hostage. Gesick was released unhurt after being held for four days although he stated that he had been chained. Uh, two kidnappers were eventually sentenced to life terms in state prison. <laughs> that that's one heck of a story. It is. Oh, and by the way, with the tech, I like how um, he's, uh, Gessick made one it was called uh, W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G, which is an acronym for What You See Is What You Get. <laughs>
0: yes. Or wizard Wizzwick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, on the... 19th of April, we had the 10th anniversary of Portal 2. Have you ever played that one, DJ? Played the Portal games, to be honest. You should. A Good.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping uh, if they get Portal 3, I might. I hope that uh, Valve might release a Portal trilogy set or something like that.
0: Yeah, maybe they will uh, do a 3. I mean, they kind of wrapped up the story in Portal 2. So, and one of the big draws of it is the, the plot and the um the the voice acting. So maybe it uh maybe we will get a third and it'll be a different character or something. I don't know if it could be as good though. But maybe it will happen though, because now we have um had a well we've had news about Half-Life. We've had Alex. So maybe they are still working on it in the back rooms of the Valve office. hmm I remember the hype for it when it was coming out though. It's hard to believe that it You know, it's been 10 years now. I'm feeling quite old. (laughs) So on the 19th of April, Salyut-1 was launched. This was the first space station. A Russian space station launched on the 10th anniversary, well, supposed to be on the 10th anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's flight, but was delayed. Cosmonauts only boarded once for 23 days, then returned to Earth. While there, they performed science experiments, secret military tests, and completed some human spaceflight records.
1: Can you imagine in the middle of a Cold War, working in Salyut one with the Americans and the the Soviet Union? (laughs) That must have been a very tense atmosphere.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of work at the time, right, well, during the Cold War, about weaponizing space. (laughs) <laughs> um, probably the most famous is the U.S. Star Wars project. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a pretty complicated topic. Um, you know, a lot goes on there. And if we if we did have weapons in space, it becomes very hard to counter them. So yeah, I bet the Americans were keeping a very close eye on them. on the nineteenth of April two thousand and four the. Uh, Jim Corbett, the British hunter, died. He was a hunter, tracker, naturalist, and author, who hunted man eating tigers and leopards in India. He held the rank of colonel in the British Indian Army, and was called upon by the government of the United Provinces of Agra and Ud, now the Indian states of Uttar Pradesh and Uttarakhand, to kill sorry if I pronounce that one wrong. To kill man eating tigers and leopards. He wrote books recounting his hunts and experiences and became a avid photographer and spoke out about the need to protect India's wildlife from extermination. Kind of ironic that he's going out and killing and, uh He's like, we, guys, we've got to preserve this so I can have more to kill.
1: Although, I've got to hand it to Corbett, though. Like, the only, ca- the only tigers, and anim- tigers and leopards he's killing are the ones that are man-eating. Yeah. Man-
0: <laughs> what a school. <laughs> yeah. And often man-eating animals only become man-eating because they can't get food naturally, because people are pushing them out of that territory, or because they uh, they're injured.
1: Some of the some of the t- the tigers that he shot, and how many how many people that the tigers have killed,
0: they're insane. Like <laughs> yeah, uh, he estimates that the total number of people killed by some of the more famous tigers that he killed uh, it was more than 1200 men, women and children
1: <laughs> that must be a guinness book of record <laughs> that
0: must be a- yeah i wonder if um like i wonder who the most what the most deadly tiger has been jim died at 79 in naiari but yeah it's so so important to keep in mind that uh hunting is a way to keep Population's under control so that they don't, you know, eat their way into a famine.
1: Okay, uh, he, here's... The, okay, I, I found it. Yep. The Guinness, uh, the, the most deadly tiger was the Champawa Tiger, with the estimated of 436 deaths.
0: Bloody hell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this was shot by Jim Corbett as well.
0: That's insane. How does it, you know, catch so many people and... It's hard to believe that it got that many people before people were got around to hunting it back.
1: There's a here's an interesting fact for you. When of its death, with the help of a te- tesilda of Champawat, the beach was organized. About 300 villages, and the next day, about noon, Corbett shot the tigress dead. Dead. Corbett's first shot hit. Uh, first shots hit the tigress in the chest and shoulder, and his last shot was made with the Tisilda's rifle to keep it from charging him after he ran out of bullets, hit the cat in the foot, causes it to collapse six metres from him.
0: Wow, that would have... <laughs> uh, hope he was wearing his brown pants.
1: <laughs> oh, and for those curious, Tisildur is a tax officer. <laughs> oh, it's the, it's not Tisilda, it's Tarsildar. That's the, pronounce, uh, pronounce, the pronunciation. Okay. But still...
0: 400 people. Yeah. And for our famous birthday, we have Ole or Ole Evinrude, born <laughs> Ole Andreessen Alice. Uh, that's a complicated one. Sounds maybe Finnish or Norwegian. Could be, uh well, sounds Scandinavian anyway. In 1900, he co-founded the custom engine firm Klemek and Evinrude, in 1907, he invented the first practical and reliable outboard motor. Two years after inventing the outboard motor, he founded Evenreud Motor Company. He was inspired by rowing a boat on Okauchi Lake outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin, on a hot day to get ice cream for his girlfriend. <laughs> so, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, so is laziness. By 1912, they employed 300 workers he let two motorcycle mad teens tinker in his machine one named arthur davidson who went on to found harley davidson in 1919 after selling his part in clinic and evanrood he founded elto the uh, elto outboard motor company which is an El- acronym itself elto for uh evanrood light twin outboard for a new more efficient and lighter he was born in Gjelvik. Uh
1: I gave, you a to- I gave you a beauty, haven't I? You
0: have. You picked this one just to hurt me. <laughs> yeah, it's in Norway. So he was born in Norway.
1: <laughs> and the, the, he changed his... I like how he changed his name because it was more simpler.
0: Because why, sorry?
1: I think he... Uh, from what I've read, like, he changed his surname because it's much more simpler or something like that.
0: Yeah, well... You know, Evinrude is uh, easier for a Westerner to... Well, English speaker to pronounce than Eyselundi. Uh,
1: <laughs> so apparently the Evinrude surname, which he adopted in the United States, is an oeconym. Uh, uh, O-E-C-O-N-Y-M. From the Evinrude farm in v- Toton, where his fo- mother was born. Oh, bless.
0: Yeah, that's nice. And for uh, events of interest, we have this movie, which uh, DJ is quite enthusiastic about. On the 19th of <laughs> April, 1985, The Company of Wolves was released <laughs> in the USA. The film is based on a werewolf story with the same name uh, by Angela Carter. Angela helped co-write the story with, uh, based on her own story and an adaptation of the story for radio. So writer and director Neil Jordan wanted Andy to play the devil. Their producer, Stephen Woolley, travelled to New York to meet Warhol, who had been recently shot, and he agreed to do the movie, but feared for his life if he travelled, so would only perform in New York. Uh, they couldn't pull that off, so they cast Terrence Stamp, who agreed to do the job if they, uh, if Jordan bought him a suit.
1: <laughs> wow, that's one heck, heck of a signing bonus.
0: <laughs> yeah. And because wolves aren't truly really domesticated and can't be completely tame they had snipers on set in case the wolves went nuts and Stephen woolley said to the sniper shoot the wolf then shoot me because my life won't be worth living if the wolf goes for the young kid referring to the 12 year old actress sarah patterson and they could only afford 12 trees for filming which i'm assuming (laughs) links into this uh bit about bonsai trees yeah (laughs) Yeah, a a wide shot involving a stork flying away from a tree was used by positioning a doll on a bonsai tree surrounded by other bonsais and set against a painted backdrop.
1: And the bird was stop-motion animation as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so they only had two real wolves. One of them uh, became terrified of a scene where they were using a duck as bait to lure the wolf because the duck quacked and the wolf freaked the hell out. But most of the uh, wolves were Belgian shepherds.
1: And imagine you, you you try and play this movie now. <laughs> say and, and just say like this was made. This was made them um, last year.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like these days you wouldn't get away with you. You'd have to do it in CGI.
1: Yeah.
0: Or they'd have a better system that wouldn't require that to be snipers. <laughs> like. Maybe filming the, um, well, maybe you have the snipers on board, but, you know, they'd keep the kid out of danger because they'd find a way to film, uh, you know, superimpose the wolves in and film it separately. So, DJ, do you have a uh, Let's Not Canon reference for us? Uh, in terms of
1: what, what podcast? Uh, yes, I do. It is called Color. So and Amber, what's that about? Uh, so it's a podcast by Amber Perez. And it is basically own your identity, engage with your community.
0: Okay. Uh, another LGBT one?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think it's more about indigenous um culture. Okay. But I could be
0: wrong. Uh, like- interesting. No, the uh, own your identity bit got me thinking LGBT, but indigenous culture is interesting topic that uh, I don't think we talk about enough in a yeah. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. But that's all we have time for tonight, way over time. <laughs> I see how I can edit this down in a uh, post. But uh, look after yourself. Stay hydrated and we'll see you next time.
1: Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh YouTube where we have where we where we will be making YouTube videos at some point. Uh on our Facebook page as well. And yeah, I will take my leave. Farewell.
0: <laughs>